I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Luana Marquez. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Dr. Luana is an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School author, executive coach, and author of the book, Bold Move, A Three-Step Plan to Transform Anxiety into Power, which we're going to be spending quite a bit of time on. So what was, I always ask people the same question that come on the show that have a book, because it's a lot of work to write this book. What was the motivation or genesis behind the book originally? So I've, for the last 15 or 20 years or so, I've been here at Harvard Medical School. And a lot of my work, Brian, has been taking the skills that are in the book and working with either corporations or nonprofit organizations and teaching them so that people could learn to really regulate themselves and be able to live better lives in general. And then the pandemic hit and my wait list was two years long. And I just had this feeling like I needed to have a better impact in the world. I needed to help as many people as possible to learn the skills that really got me out of poverty and adversity in Brazil, got me into Harvard Medical School. And so I decided it was time to sort of share some of the skills and my own journey with the world. So let's go a little bit deeper there background, your story. It's a remarkable story. Would you mind expounding upon some of the things you referenced growing up in Brazil and enabled you to go to Harvard Medical School? Sure. So I grew up in Brazil in a little town called Governador Valadares, which is in the middle of the country. And early on, things were pretty difficult. It was my mom, my sister, and I. And my father left when we were about 10. And it was really a blessing in disguise. Before that, there was a lot of domestic violence, a lot of trauma. 
And eventually it was my mom just trying as hard as she could. She had three jobs to try to feed my sister and I and do what it could to get us a better education, which was really her ticket, what she believed was our ticket out of that kind of situation. And my mom really pushed me and taught me skills that later in graduate school I understood to be science-driven. The idea, for example, that in tough moments, you're going to have strong emotions, but the only way to manage it is to go through it. And so my mom was the first one to introduce me to a lot of the things. Then I lived with my grandmother, who I talk about in the book a lot, who really taught me how to approach instead of avoid, to think differently, and opened the door that perhaps if I changed the way I talked to myself, if I went towards this comfort instead of avoiding, I could have a different life. And so I think combined with those two things, I worked really hard, eventually became an exchange student, came back and did undergraduate graduate school and then eventually landed here in Boston. And I credit so much of that journey to really the wisdom of my mom, grandmother in science that got me out of trauma and into this amazing career that I love so much. You talk a lot about not avoiding conflict, facing it head on as a tool that cognitive behavioral therapy kind of addresses you obviously experienced that yourself. Was there a moment where it kind of clicked in your mind of your own experience in childhood trauma and what led you to kind of have this focus within your professional studies? I think there were several moments. I think first at 15, when I was avoiding strangers and my grandmother invited me to the mall and forced me to approach strangers. So I think there was Perhaps the pivotal point, because what I talk about in the book is this idea that avoidance is what keeps us stuck. That anxiety, although terrible and debilitating for many, is what we do when we're anxious that's the problem. And I think if I hadn't learned from my grandmother to approach, I might have been stuck with in, in Brazil and may have developed something called social anxiety disorder, for example which has a significant negative consequence for people's lives going forward. We know, for example, that there is a decrease in income by 300,000 if somebody has an early diagnosis of social anxiety disorder because they stop taking on opportunities, right? So I think that was the first piece. And then I think every time avoidance knocked at my door after, there were moments when I wanted to become president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, I was scared and I was young, a Latina woman running against a white American guy. And I was going to avoid it. My grandmother, again, her voice in my head goes, approach, don't avoid. When I overcame my fear of heights. So I think it clicked at 15 and I've practiced throughout my life. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I just... It seems like you're almost the perfect candidate to be the spokesperson for this approach. And anxiety is something that, especially post-COVID, a term that gets used a lot. I don't think people fully understand it or appreciate its role biochemically or within our own bodies and how it plays out in our actual lives. It's not necessarily inherently a negative thing. But once it starts impacting your day-to-day -day activities in your life and your ability to live, obviously it becomes problematic. Could you maybe discuss that dynamic and how we've kind of sometimes will misuse the term anxiety in modern life? Absolutely. Such a great question, Brian, because you're right. It's been thrown around right and left, right? And people are talking about it as, as if we we're talking about the same thing. So Anxiety itself, when people are talking about it, often they're talking about the physical symptoms of anxiety, 
heart pounding, dizziness, the difficulty concentrating, sweaty, hot and cold flushes, tingling, right? So those are the physical sensations and those in the extreme lead to things that people talk about like a panic attack. When those symptoms come all together, they come together in less than 10 minutes and they peak really fast. But anxiety itself, when we're talking about sort of, there's more components to it. There is the thinking component of anxiety. There's a lot of people that I work with that they stuck in the, what if the worst, and, and they imagine in that what if that there will be a consequence, the worst case scenario, and then they are not going to be able to handle it, right? And so, and then there are people that are so terrified of those physical sensations that they stuck on just avoiding anything related to anxiety. And so, and think about as a spectrum, right? Low to moderate levels of anxiety actually increase performance. I don't know anyone that's giving a keynote in front of 2,000 people that didn't have some level of jitterness, right? Because your body's sort of trying to understand what's going on. Or when you do a really hard exam, or when you're pitching a new company or firm or you're trying to sell something, there is some level of anxiety that's going to be there. When we move from moderate to severe, that's where the problem is. Because then we're no longer talking about anxiety that is between our thinking brain and our emotional brain. We're really talking about fight, flight, or freeze. And at that point, our brain is just shut down, right? We can't think straight. We're paralyzed. That's the part of anxiety that's really problematic. And you, you do a great job in the book talking about how this differential is between this fever of anxiety versus the infection of, of anxiety. And, and to your point, it can be a great way to boost performance. And it is a naturally occurring element of our humanity until it ticks over into being something that restrains us from being able to kind of live a full life. Could you unpack this kind of fever versus infection concept. Yeah. yeah. So I believe anxiety is a fever and a fever that calls our attention. The same way we hear words like stress and burnout and sadness. It's not that those things don't exist, but they by themselves, strong emotions, I'm going to put them all under that umbrella. They are not the problem. The real infection here is psychological avoidance. And psychological avoidance is defined as any kind of reaction we have to a perceived threat. And this is important. I'm not talking about a real threat, but a perceived threat that momentarily makes us feel better, but long-term makes us, gets us stuck. And so this is your point. You're talking about conflict before. It's like you're in a team, you're the manager, and you know you need to have a conversation with somebody in your team who is not performing well. But just the idea of that conversation makes you so anxious, then then you avoid that conversation. Momentarily, not talking to that person makes you feel better. The problem is conflict doesn't go away. And so now every time you start to think about it, you start to feel more and more anxious. And most of the time, by the time you get to even have that conversation, you're so, so anxious that your thinking brain is out for lunch and you can't really then perform. And so although anxiety is debilitating, is a fever. The infection is avoidance, and avoidance is really what robs us from a meaningful life. So let's get a little bit more tactical here. I mean, what are some things that we can do to push back against this, to work through kind of this problematic end of the spectrum of anxiety? So there are three skills in the book. And before I even go through the skills in the book, I think the first very sort of tactical thing is to learn 
that every one of us in moments of high anxiety have a superpower, and that's called the ability to pause our brain. Most of the time when we get anxious, we want to step on the gas. We want to do something to try to take that discomfort away. But actually, the best thing to do is to hit a pause. And now, not just pause. What I suggest is that you really spend some time just evaluating what's happening with that anxiety. And in the book, I describe a skill called the thoughts, emotions, and behavior cycle or TAB cycle. Here, the idea is, I'm going to give you an example because I think it's much easier. This morning, I woke up. And I'm shifting a lot from academic career to public speaking, giving keynotes and all those things. And it's a domain that I have very little experience with. I've given lots of presentations, but I haven't made a living giving presentations and selling books. And so I woke up this morning and I was very anxious and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I was like, okay, let me write down my thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And I pull out a piece of paper and I was like, okay, situation, woke up very anxious. And then I was like, emotions. And I was like, anxiety, heart pounding. I feel a little, like a little quizzy. And I'm like, what am I saying to myself? And I was like, oh, and then I saw it. I was saying to myself, what if you don't get presentations? What if you can't make an income? What if you can't pay your mortgage? What if, and then once I started to write it down, there were so many until it got to like, what if I can't make it? And just those thoughts were leading to that anxiety. But if I hadn't stopped and actually looked at what I was saying to myself, I would be trying to run away from that anxiety instead of hitting that pause button. And so once I was able to write this, I saw what the problem was. I was fearful of this. And I could have, in this point, I have a choice. I can avoid all of this, or I can use one of the skills in the book, which is called approach, not avoid. And so approach is the idea of opposite action. My anxiety is telling me I can't do it. What is an opposite action? And what I did is I looked at my contacts and I said, okay, I'm going to send five emails to people who hire speakers who I know who have hired me for smaller presentations before. And by the third email, my brain was no longer on fight, flight, or freeze. So easier said than done, right? I mean, to be able to run towards the fear, to push back against it, to directly address what it is that is causing that anxiety. Are there kind of tools that you found to be really helpful? You described actually writing these things down. Are there other kind of arrows that you have in your quiver that you found to be very helpful here for other mm -hmm. folks? For sure. A couple other things. And, and but I want to echo what just said, Brian, it's important. It's easier said than done without training. So the same way you're not going to get a six pack overnight and you're not going to get it by going to the gym once a year, you're not going to be able to pause your brain without training. And I think this is important for people listening to us because our culture teaches us that we need to take care of our physical body and tell us how much we need to exercise and what we have to do. And then somehow there's this belief that for the brain, we should be able to just somehow do this. And I really believe in skills, not therapy. We cannot pause without practice. I, I can do it because I practice this every day. And the reason I chose my example is to show that even with practice, I get anxious, right? So I think it's really important for us to sort of understand that practice is key. And in terms of actual skills, so the first one I talked about is pausing. Then I already talked about this idea of approach. Approach is opposite action. Anxiety tells you to not do something. You need to think to yourself, what is one baby step stuff that I can do towards my discomfort. Now, just do it only works for Nike. It does not work for your brain. 
It has to be little steps. So if you avoid conflict, don't go have that conversation. Write down the points you want to have in the conversation. Practice that conversation with somebody. Have a more mild conversation with the person. If you are afraid of out on a date, right? Just deciding that you're going to go on many dates is not going to, you're going to have to do baby steps. So opposite action, take one baby step towards it. The other skill that I use a lot and this might really bring through with your audience for what I understand um, them to be, is this idea that when we're anxious, most of us live a emotion-driven life. What I mean by that is we do whatever the emotion tells us to do, right? It's like, like somebody's driving the car of our lives. The opposite of an emotion-driven life is a values-driven life, right? So what are your key values and can you align your daily activities with this? And I'll be very concrete here. I do this every Sunday. I have my three values that I'm living by right now, impact, health, and family. And on Sunday, I do a calendar evaluation. I look at my upcoming week and I go, what are the things I'm doing? Like right now I'm with you and this to me has impact. It brings skills to many people. Later today, I'm going to a little birthday party with my five-year-old. And it's not perfect in terms of a balance. It's just making sure that my actions are coming out of my values. Does that help as a concrete step? Yeah, so I'm curious. So you actually audit your week ahead to see if they're aligning with your three stated values. You do that every Sunday? I do that every Sunday. And do you change do you change your calendar if it doesn't align? I mean, okay. I change my calendar. So the reason I do this is I realized a while back that this idea of balance of sort of this much for personal, this much for work, this much for family, like it didn't work because there wasn't a perfect kind of balance. What it worked for me is to have these actions being so value driven that if they're not value driven, they don't make it on my calendar. Right. And so now there are things that we all have to do. If I have to do accounting. Right. Why is that important? Well, because that supports my business, supports my value of impact. But I literally won't, for example, put three meetings on my calendar that I don't know what about and are not value driven. I'll sandwich things so that on average, I'm getting this jolt of energy because every time we do an activity that's value driven, we know stress goes down. It takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of discipline. So kudos to you. I think for people listening who are entrepreneurs or business owners, business leaders, there is a sense that we all would like to do that aspirationally, mm -hmm. but there's drift. Because what you alluded to at the end, right, there are things that you seem to be required to do that are mm -hmm. mandatory, that don't necessarily align with your values. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably the challenge a lot of people are running through their heads with is, I would like to do this, but... I could probably keep it up for a week or two and then I have a drift or shift away and it's very hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. So do you just, you go back every week and you just try to stay and you kind of alluded to this earlier, there's a cumulative effect that occurs once you're able to do this week over week. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So this is an interesting point. I love this sort of idea that there's drift. Absolutely. There's drop in voltage whenever we try something new. And often most people, let me back up, in implementation science, there's this idea of de-implementation before you implement something new. And I think it's super helpful at the personal level. Because if you're going to add one more thing to your calendar... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Which is evaluating your calendar now and doing some rearrangement. What's going to give? That's the first question, right? Because otherwise you're going to drift. But the other way to think about this, Brian, if you have a really important doctor appointment, imagine that you had cancer before and you have an upcoming appointment and it's really important for your physical health. Would you miss that doctor appointment? Yeah, no, of course not. It's just somehow we've decided that brain health does not deserve the same attention as physical health. Now, I think the pandemic illustrated to all of us that if we don't care about our brain and our emotional health, not even mental health, but like just say emotional health, we don't thrive. And so I can't imagine that an entrepreneur or a business leader is not going to make a meeting with a VC company or somebody that they're pitching. And so I'm suggesting, or sort of at least arguing, that your appointments with yourself for your brain should be equally as important. Yeah. We put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. And it kind of makes me think, the concept that you referenced cognitive behavioral therapy about exposure, right? You start mm-hmm. very small and then you work your way up to address your fears, your phobias, your anxiety. I would think it works the other way that once you have weeks that are really well aligned with your value system and you feel good and you perform better and you feel like you achieve things that are in line with your values, it probably builds on itself in a form or, or fashion, right? You're absolutely right. It's the same way as like when we go to the gym often and like we missed one, we're like, what is going on? Because there is this sense of like reward that comes with a value-driven life. And once it builds, it's like you need it. Like I personally need it. Otherwise I feel like I'm just drifting, as you said, and I don't achieve as much in every domain of my life. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I want to go back to if somebody... What if you have a lot of anxieties, right? You wake up in the morning, you have this doom loop in your head of these recurring, what I call like parade of horrors of all these things that can go wrong. Where do you start? Are there certain anxieties that are easier to address or that you have found to be low hanging fruit that you think people can kind of tackle to build that confidence and to build the skill set? So it's a little tricky of a question because it depends where the entryway is for the person. And let me be concrete here. If you wake up every morning with this dread and now you can't function through the day, I bet you're having trouble falling asleep the night before, right? And so the question is, for that person in particular, it sounds to me like they would be stuck on their thinking a lot. And so we really would want to start working on what are you saying to yourself? Can we write down your thoughts? Can we start to look at more balanced beliefs around the world, right? So if you wake up and you're like, 
what is the worst thing that's going to happen today? And you're thinking of that. Like, when was the last thing that that happened to you? Like the thing that you're afraid of, I'm going to go bankrupt. When was the last time you got bankrupt? Has it ever happened? Given your bank account, what's the probability that you're going to be bankrupt in the next 24 hours? Let's not even go more than that, right? If your friend was in this scenario, what would you say to your friend? And so at the thinking level, we need to like stop that avalanche right away. If somebody wakes up with so much dread, get out of bed and try to work on your thinking. If that feels like too much, step back, get out of bed and do some exercise, move your body, right? Let's see if we can short circuit. Sometimes it's so much though that you can't even work on your thinking because it's so fast. There is a great technique from dialectical behavior therapy that really can help for that severe level, which is going to sound funny for everybody listening to us, but try it. If you're really anxious and you feel like, okay, I can't do anything. I can't go for a jog. I can call my friend. I can't change my thinking. Take two ice cubes and hold them on both hands. And the physical pain of the ice burning tends to reboot. It's like control all the lead of the brain. It's a Band-Aid. It's not going to solve it long term, but at least momentarily bring that temperature down. And this is, so this is kind of a circuit breaker to this amygdala hijacking that occurs? That is exactly right. Can you talk about what your amygdala being hijacked is? So the amygdala is the part of the brain that's designed to protect us from real danger, right? And so if you're crossing a street with your kid and an ambulance comes down, you're going to grab that kid and get out of the way as fast as possible. And in cases of real danger, pretty quickly, once you're in safety, the amygdala starts to calm down and knows there is no threat. It doesn't come down immediately. It takes time, but it will come down. And amygdala hijack is the same response, but to a perceived threat. So you get an email at 10 p.m. from your partner at the firm that you're building, and the title of the email says, we need to talk, I'm upset. Just reading the title of that email, if there is any kind of conflict, is going to turn on your fight, flight, or freeze. Your amygdala is going to go on. And if it goes on fully, that's what I call an amygdala hijack. Because now you are unable, and this is so important because most people don't understand this, you are unable to think critically. In full amygdala hijack, your prefrontal cortex, the execution center of your brain, is literally offline or almostly not functioning. And we have plenty of neuroscience to prove this. And so in that point, that's where that pause is so critical. That's why the ice cube can help here because you really are in a state that any action is not going to be a good action. And this really brings the conversation full circle, I think, because we talk about mental health, physical wellness. It does directly impact your ability to be successful in your professional life and in your family life, because these things are not firing all cylinders. You didn't get that workout in the morning. You didn't do your meditation. You didn't do your mindfulness routine and you're not operating at hundred percent. You're like leaving money on the table. I think in a business sense. You're leaving a lot of money. I think the cost of mental illness, it was in $1 trillion. I, I don't, I, the stats is, it doesn't come right, but it's a, a lot of money on the table. Yeah. And not even in the business sense, but also just you're not showing up for your family, for your wife, for your kids or your partner. It seems to kind of go across the board. This idea of catastrophizing and these should statements that become like that you are statements. I've talked to my therapist about this yesterday, actually. And we kind of had this image of if you're walking down the street and you see graffiti spray painted on the building that you're a bad person or you're not worthy of your life, just because you see those things doesn't mean that you are those things. Could you maybe kind of talk a little bit more about how you work with your clients on that issue? Because I think amongst this 
population set that you're speaking to, there is a lot of shame, self-hatred, down talk that occurs that is really pernicious for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, so catastrophizing, shoot statements, jump, jump into conclusions, those are on the category of what's known as cognitive distortions. The brain is really amazing, right? We've been talking about one of the functions of the brain, which is protect. The other function of the brain is actually designed to predict what's going to happen next. And to do that, the brain creates categories for things and trying to interpret things as fast as possible. That kind of wiring is formed through our life. And then eventually we stop actually questioning it. So you may have a narrative that comes from early childhood or a bad experience in as adult that says, I'm unlovable. I'm not enough. I am, as you said, unworthy of love. And that those are deep beliefs. And those beliefs tend to be very dormant and entrenched. So at the surface level, most people don't walk around saying, I'm unlovable. They say things like, I'm never going to be in a good enough relationship. That, or I'm not successful enough. I should be working more. And those distortions then becomes their reality. And so a person that is having some financial trouble in their job, for example, in their company, they're like, I should work more. And so then they take that thought as I'm not doing enough. And then they step on the gas and then they get more and more anxious. And so I think the first thing here that I talk to everybody is this thoughts are not facts, just not. Right? What we say to ourselves is really shaped by our history and how we are uh, programmed our brain. And so once you identify that what you're saying to yourself may not be 100% accurate or helpful, right? sometimes it is accurate. My company may be in financial challenges, but it does not mean I am a bad person because of that. Right? So we have to sort of, is what I'm saying to myself accurate? And even if it's not accurate, is it helpful? And then you really need to get to an alternative perspective. That's what I was talking about before, this idea of talking to yourself as if you were talking to your best friend. Yeah, I like this idea of you referenced the programming. And this is something that I'm working through myself. These thoughts don't come from nowhere, right? So at some point in your life, if it was explicit or implicit, it was you through osmosis or you were told that you're not good enough, that you have to do certain things, conditional love, right? After you mm -hmm. hit certain benchmarks or achievements, that's what unlock this love or admiration from people that you that want that love from. And you really almost have to deprogram yourself to understand kind of where this came from initially, because it's not a inherent natural thought for many mm -hmm. people, right? I, I love how you put in that. You're absolutely right. It is not. And comes part of your history. And the first piece that you're talking about is it's probably no longer the reality, but once it gets programmed, the brain's designed to minimize dissonance. This dissonance when two things don't match because dissonance halts the brain. It's like, what's going on? And because we have to predict fast, we're like basically using a first generation Google Maps to drive a modern LA. It doesn't work. It's slow. It's clunky. But we don't take time to update our brains as our software. And so we really need to do that so that we can operate our cylinders. Yeah. I, I know personally, when I bump up against that dissonance, like exactly like you described, how my reality is different than the story I tell myself in my head, and I can't square it, mm -hmm. I will turn to destructive behavior oftentimes as a way to bridge that gap. And that can be different things for different people. I know for me, it can be drinking and, and some other things. You see this play out with other 
business leaders or, or successful folks? I, I see it a lot, Brian, with successful folks. The, the, the idea is like, so the thing is dissonance, right? Two things, no match. So I'll give you a personal example. I grew up with the belief of I'm not enough. And now I'm a Harvard professor. I had more than 120 articles published, like on paper, makes no sense. But there was one time in my career early on that I got this major paper accepted to a journal. And I was the first author who got accepted without revision. In in my world, that's like scoring a big deal, right? And my brain said, oh, we only got accepted because other people are smart. I'm not smart. And see, it did that to minimize that dissonance. And so I see this a lot with very successful people that then dismiss their success because if they had to look at the success, they have to change their operating system. It's what you're talking about. Once dissonance happens, then either you go back to the old operating system or you update. Update takes a lot of effort and most people hate discomfort and anxiety. So they run away, they drink, they do drugs, they overwork. They, I had, I worked with an entrepreneur that was like launching five business at once and not sleeping much. And I was like, why? He's like, well, but I have to prove I'm enough. And I was like, wouldn't one successful be enough for other people, not for me, right? And so you create this like mental maths. I call this like the pretzel effect. We twist data into a pretzel to just try to prove the old belief. And we just hurt in the process. Yeah, no, alcohol and work are definitely the ones that I turn to the most when I'm trying to figure that out. And it, to your point, it's challenging because especially I think for entrepreneurs and successful people, they're used to things happening quickly or they have a sense of urgency mm -hmm. and these things unfortunately take a very long time just so we talked about cumulative effect mm -hmm. and exposure i think it takes a very long time to to build the skill set to be able to combat those thoughts unfortunately i don't know if it does i think it's you it's as much time as you put in you're going to get out of it right well that's what i mean there's no easy solution there's no, no quick solve here. It's like, no. you've got to put the work in to get it done, right? So, so you're right. So to the extent that avoiding and going to old patterns is faster and there was the quick fix, right? That's why avoidance is so painful and powerful because it works. Having that second glass of wine will cool off your brain. It's just not going to solve the thing that got you to have the glass of wine, not because you're enjoying it, but because you're running away from that dissonance. Yeah. And that's exactly, you put it very well when I was clunky with it, but in the short term, going to work or putting in more hours at the office or drinking or whatever the behavior is a really good short-term solution, mm -hmm. but it does nothing to address the underlying causality of what's making you do those behaviors. That's exactly it. That's why I call it the infection. It's like the picture I have in my brain is like you have a wound and it's deep and you're just cleaning the top of that wound and, and it continues to get infected below the skin. And sometimes, and that's why I call what I do emotional surgery, because I like to go in, I like to go in deep and just get it out. And so people can start living their lives. There's a lot more to unpack here. This has been terrific. I, I do want to touch on this bold vision concept before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about kind of what that mechanism is and then how you work with clients on it? Yeah, so I really, we touched on it, I really believe in this idea of a values-driven life. And borrowing from Simon Sinek, which I'm sure many of the people that listen to you are used to, the golden circle, the idea of why you do something, how you do something, and what you do. And that most people start in the what, not the why. And so a bold vision is really creating a vision for your life that is like, what is the why 
behind it. And then really identify your values they are going to lead to this life. Right? Because to your point, Brian, it's going to take time in business, in your brain health to be able to move to the next level. And so ask yourself, why do I want to do it? How do I want to do it? What do I want to do? And then in the book, I talk about this vision with one more step, which is when am I going to do it? You can come up with a beautiful vision for your life, but if you don't execute it, it doesn't work. And that's why, to your point, that's why I use the calendar evaluation every week, because to me, to stay consistent with my bold vision, which is to sort of make science accessible for all, to make sure that people can actually learn skills, not therapy, to change their lives, I need to, every week, be scheduling things that are are consistent with that vision. And so that's why I think that's so important. I want to thank you for the work and, and what you're putting out there. I think it's hugely helpful to people. And this conversation has been great for me. And as you referenced, you've done a lot of these. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today and discuss. If people are interested in learning more about your work or connecting with you, obviously the book is a bold move, a three-step plan to transform anxiety into power, but where can they get it? Where can they find you? Where, they, where can they learn more? So my website is www.druana.com. And you can find out lots about me there. And on social media, I'm D-R-L-U-A-N-A-M-A-R-Q-U-E-S. And that's across all social channels. And I love when people connect. So if they can reach out and connect, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I sent you a blind note on LinkedIn and you responded and here we are. So definitely encourage people to reach out and thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, please do leave us a rating and a comment. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation. And Dr. Luana, one question we ask everyone that comes on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Yes, I tend to do some walking or like sort of walking meditation or sort of moments of silence that really brings peace to my life. The other one is I make time before dinner to just be present with my five-year-old and like just literally take the phone away and just be present. And just that really brings a lot of joy and peace to my life. Thank you for sharing and thank you for joining us and best of luck with the book moving forward. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.